have no memory, and uh, and also I doubt y'all want me to read to you. So I'm going to let um, this esteemed panel introduce themselves. I'm really sorry, guys, but you'll do a better job than I will, I promise. Ben? My name is Ben Flanagan. I'm from Tuscaloosa. I live in the Montgomery area now. I work for AL.com, which is based here in Birmingham. I write entertainment-focused content on there sometimes, and I co-host a movie podcast with this guy right here who will introduce himself. It's called Aspect Radio. And you can find that online. I'll tell you how later on. So, uh, My name is Corey Kraft. Uh, I am a film columnist with the Tuscaloosa News at the moment and uh, co-host of podcast Aspect Radio with Ben Flanagan. My name is Matt Scalisi. I'm the uh, owner, publisher of uh, FilmNerds.com. We have a uh, website and a podcast that uh, these guys are frequent guests on. I also call into their radio show all the time and uh, <laughs> insult them and things like that. So. Good job. My name is Carrie Norris. I'm from Birmingham, and I write about movies for the Birmingham Weekly. My name is Bill Caton. Um, I have a real job, but I guess since since I'm here, I, I write uh, movie reviews for Beat Metro magazine, largely because Joe O'Donnell and I are old friends, and he knew I'd do it for nothing. So <laughs> I've been doing it for about a year, and it's been a great experience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually let Kyle get us started with sort of the first question of the night, so to speak. Um, yeah, I guess the focus of this is to be more kind of a free-form uh, discussion on just the Oscars. And I think it can even open up to just the movies that were also snubbed that should have been included as well, just your favorites of the year. And just if you all could weigh in on it, um, uh, just on you know how you're feeling about 2010 as a, uh, as a year for movies. Some, some people say it was fantastic, and some people say it really stung. But uh, um, if anybody has anything they want to start off with or a movie that just kind of is on your mind that uh, that you really want to see go go home with a lot of awards, um, feel free to raise your hand, and I'll pass the mic to you. Yeah. Well, I am in the uh, camp that thinks 2010 has been a great movie year, and that's because um, on our show and just in general, we, we make top ten lists at the end of the year, whether or not we're doing a pretty publication. We're just dorks like that. That's why we're here. Um, and I really struggled to make this top ten. And when you struggle to fit ten great movies on the one list because there are so many, that reflects a great movie year. I've heard a lot of people throughout the year say that it's weak. Just in June and October, they would just keep saying it's weaker and weaker. And I didn't get that. I didn't understand. But we really had a, a great latter part of the year, I think, as the Oscar season has sort of rolled around where we've gotten so many great releases that are mainstream but have turned out to be really great, like True Grit, the Coen Brothers' new movie, which is surprisingly a blockbuster compared to the rest of the Coen's filmography. I mean, this thing cleared $100 million domestically already. That's exciting. And then you have something like Black Swan, the Darren Aronofsky movie, which is a great film as well. Um, it's one, whether or not you like it, it it's going to make you talk or make you think make you have nightmares, I think. Um, and the fact that there are these films, and there are many more like it, that uh, have made us all talk and have challenged us as opposed to you know years past, uh, I think 2007 is probably the most comparable year to where we've had just this unbelievable lineup of films that um, make us really think 
yes, this was a great film year. But for me, my favorite film of the year, and I'm going to sound uh, way too cliched about this. Uh, you've heard it before. Social Network is my favorite movie of 2010. I love it. I, I watched it the other day. I watched the DVD commentaries the other day. All of them. I'm obsessed with it at this point. I, I just think technically there's nothing like it this year. I think there are other great technical films, but I mean... A lot of us can identify, I think, with it because we're part of this Facebook generation, so to speak, and we have sort of grown up with Facebook. And it's about people who are our age, while we were in college even, and it's just kind of fun to go in-depth and behind the scenes and just let masters like David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin and the great cast tell that story. And so for many other reasons, The Social Network is my favorite film of 2010, and I really hope that it wins Best Picture, but I'm not sure if it's going to, and Corey will be able to elaborate on that much better than I will. You put me on the spot, kind of. Um, yeah, uh, no, I, I think that um, statistically speaking, to turn to the Oscars for a moment, uh, the social network is in trouble. Um, I think the King's Speech, which is a film that I really, really enjoyed as well, though I, I don't, I don't know that it's. Uh, this could be in dispute, but I don't know that it's as as technically uh, impressive as the Social Network or a lot of the other nominees. Um, I think the King's Speech pretty much has it in the bag at this point. Um, which is kind of a surprising turnaround from how the critics' uh, awards sort of shook out. But I, you know, to move away from the Oscars for a moment because I, I have a feeling we'll get back to that. Um, you know, I think it, I, I'm with Ben. I think it's been a very good year for movies. The great movies were really great. I think what people say, like when they say that 2010 was not a good year for movies, though, is that the bad movies were really, really, really bad because they were. There were a lot of terrible movies. But I mean, that's true of most every year. I just you know, there are there are a lot of terrible movies. Um, and I, I think, I, you know, like Ben said, there are a lot of movies that did challenge and provoke us, and then the Academy's 10 Best Picture nominees are a pretty good representation of that. I mean, any year you get something like uh, the, the little independent movie Winter's Bone in the Best Picture 10, along with uh, Danny Boyle's uh, certainly challenging and interesting 127 Hours, and Darren Aronofsky's completely insane Black Swan. I think that's a pretty good year for Best Picture nominees. Yeah, and I, you know, along the same thing, theme of, uh, you know, what kind of year it's been, I guess. Um, you know, if I look at last year, and, and, you know, last year was the first time they had moved back to having 10 Best Picture nominees uh, at the Oscars. And, you know, it was a move I wasn't a big fan of at first because I felt like it really diluted the competition. It put a lot of movies in that category that I didn't feel like were worthy of that. Because really even being nominated for Best Picture to a lot of people is a mark of, of quality. And it sort of, some people wait for that list to come out to decide what kind of movies they're going to see. And, um, you know, I felt like there were some movies on that list last year, uh, The Blind Side being one big time, that, uh, that just they just didn't belong in that category. And I, you know, I look at the 10 that were nominated this year, I think they're all great movies. I wouldn't feel bad about any of them winning Best Picture and sort of take, you know, going in the history books as the best movie of the year. Um, you know, I could say everything Ben and Corey have said about kind of the, the, the favorites, the front runner so far. One that they haven't mentioned is Toy Story 3, which is nominated for Best Picture. And, you know, everybody, I, I think I think people are kind of hesitant to really talk about it seriously as a great film this year because it's animated and it has, has the number three on 
the end of it. And uh, you know, but I mean, look, it's it's ask anybody that's seen that movie and, and see if they had an emotional reaction at the end. Most people, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many grown men I've talked to that said they cried at that movie. I mean, it just it just really does elicit a very strong reaction out of people. And you know, part of that is building on the the movies that came before it and the sort of relationship that we have with those characters over the years. But uh, it's just a really well written movie. It, it deals with very adult themes sometimes. I, I, I mean, to me, uh, as gr- as much as I loved a lot of these other movies and, and Social Network, I've put it on uh, on a list on, on Aspect Radio as, as my favorite of the year. But, you know, the more I think about it, Toy Story 3 is kind of creeping up there for me. Is I, I can't say that I had a stronger reaction to any movie this year uh, than Toy Story 3 with Black Swan, maybe, but not quite the same reaction. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm with these guys about Toy Story 3. I, I imagine there's a lot of kids who were in the, in the theater watching the movies, looking over and wondering why their parents were weeping openly. Um, but I remember thinking that 2010 was not a particularly good year for movies. But then when I made went back to make my list at the end of the year, I kind of proved myself wrong because there were plenty, and I had a hard time narrowing it down. And uh, as he said, the, all ten of the ones that were nominated for Best Picture uh, are deserving, arguably, to a certain extent. Um, and I agree with them that my, my favorite picture of the year was Social Network. Um, and a lot of people like to dismiss the Oscars, saying that you know they don't matter and that art isn't about competitions. Of course, I like to say that until they nominate things that I like, and then, of course, they're awesome. <laughs> and But... Um, no, I do think that there are plenty of pictures this year that are deserving, and almost anything that's been nominated could be the best picture of the year. Nobody's mentioned Inception yet, and I, that was, a, I thought, a really interesting movie to watch. It was beautiful to watch. It, was, it really had the physical nature of a dream almost. It was really pretty. But the further I get away from it, the less I like it. And I, and I, in the end, it seems like a really good episode of the Twilight Zone. You know, but, but it, I really enjoyed the movie. And in 2010, I think had, there were spells where I thought there's not going to be another good movie this year. These are all crap. And then all of a sudden, you get these tremendous movies. And I'm a little older, obviously, than, than probably most of the people in the room. But the, but uh, so that puts me in the King's Speech category. <laughs> I really, I, I really enjoyed the King's Speech. I liked everything about it. The, the dialogue was tremendous. The acting, Jeffrey Rush in particular, was just amazing. And Colin Firth, of course. Um, and I, I think, in my mind, the big difference between the King's Speech and the Social Network, I, I thought both. I'm a big dialogue guy, so I really enjoy dialogue, and I like to. I like to. I pay attention to writing in movies. I guess more than I should, but I, I thought the Social Network was just brilliant. The, the, the dialogue was amazing, and it was tremendous. And, and the, the way that, the way they told the story, you got four things happening simultaneously. I mean, it was flashback and flashback and flashback. But it really worked well. The King's Speech. I think the big difference in why people like the King's Speech and why I, why it resonates with me is because it's about redemption. It's about courage. This guy's not some vindictive little weasel genius who's rich and hated by the world, including himself. But you know, the other guy's a guy that's forced into a situation he doesn't want to be in and took tremendous courage and they're great friends to get him through it. And I, I think that you know that plays well, especially the old parts. So 
you just reminded me when I don't know you're talking about age group and King's Speech. I went to go see the King's Speech at a matinee, and um, it was the theater was very packed. It was like a Friday at four o'clock, and I mean, it, and in all honesty, the, um, the basically the general demographic was like the 50 to 70 year old 70 year old group, and then there was like me and my girlfriend, and it was kind of awesome. But then I I felt so embarrassed for my generation when there's. Um, a commercial for Axe ball cleaner or something that comes on the big screen. And I mean, I was mortified and like putting my hand, my face in between my hands. And immediately after that, there's a movie trailer for that movie, No Strings Attached, um, which made me want to rip my hair out. And then there was another one for the company men that made, I almost left the theater. But I just felt so embarrassed. And I, and I don't know, I'm, I'm so glad that the movie ended up being fantastic because uh, I don't know, that was just a rough experience. <laughs> I wanted to see if you guys, I know the three of y'all are always sort of dealing with each other. Um, I want to see if y'all disagreed on anything this year. And for you guys at the end, um, since you don't really necessarily know, did you disagree with sort of popular opinion this year on anything? I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start it off, I guess. Um, you know, I, I think there were some individual movies that we all kind of championed that maybe the maybe the rest of us, the, the other two, didn't quite agree on. I, I would say probably between the the three of us, um, Ben certainly seems to be the biggest fan of Inception. Corey, you know, probably I, I guess you're a, you're a really big champion of, of Winter's Bone. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know that there's necessarily, uh, you know, a negative disagreement that we've had other than maybe uh, I had a pretty strong negative reaction to Black Swan in general. Um, I mean, it was mixed. There was there were things I really liked about it and not the things you're thinking necessarily, but there were, uh, there were you know, there were, there were sort of sequences of it that I thought were brilliant, and, and there was a lot about it that... Um, just didn't resonate with me, and, and I don't know. I mean, what do you guys? Where did you guys end up landing on on Black Swan? I think I think it was kind of in general. You guys both liked it a lot more than I did. I don't think so, man. Like I I, I thought it was okay. I, I I came around to it a little more after I saw it a second time, but the first time I was kind of bewildered by how trashy it ended up being in the third act, in particular, and just evolves into this. I, I, my friend my friend Ryan describes it as a hysterical shrieking nightmare. I mean, that's a good way to describe it. It just didn't entirely work for me, though. I, I mean, I'm a big Darren Aronofsky fan, and, and I think that movie technically is as good as anything he's ever done. Uh, so, I mean, it works for me intermittently. You know, I think Natalie Borman's great. So, uh, I think I'm probably a bigger champion of, of The Kids Are All Right, I think, than, than either of you, because I, I, I adore that movie. And I think I'm a bigger champion than, of Never Let Me Go than either of you, just by virtue of having been the only out on DVD today, by the way, and if, if you haven't seen it, I do really recommend it. I've got I've got one more I want to throw out there because I, I know I've heard you guys talk about the fighter too, and, and that's a movie we didn't mention up here. 
that's a Best Picture nominee. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I really, I, I saw it probably the most recently of, of the three of us, and I really liked it a lot. Uh, I had a lot of fun watching it, and, and to me it's kind of, it's almost one of the most fun Best Picture nominees that's out there this year. It's it's just, uh, you know, the performances are, are um, very comedic, while they also have their really, you know, strong dramatic moments, and uh, I don't know, I mean, I think I think you're starting to see it pick up some award momentum. Certainly, Melissa Leo and uh, and Christian Bale are, are kind of locks at this point for their supporting performances. But uh, and, you know, I, I came away from it really liking it. I was glad it got nominated for Best Picture. I was glad that um, that the that David O. Russell got nominated for Best Director. I don't know. What, ben, do you want to talk about your thoughts on the fighter and whether or not it deserves to be up there? Yeah, uh, because I, I really like the fighter a lot. I came out of it saying, against my better judgment, I think, you know what, it was really good because I went into it kind of not wanting to like it and I had lowered my expectations because I guess I had sort of bought into the negative perception of David O. Russell's um, on-set incidents, I guess, or behavior, and so I just kind of wanted to dislike his movies, and that's always been something that I kind of avoid doing is kind of taking my opinion of a filmmaker's personal life, but that, I mean, that's his professional life. Um, but no, when I was watching it, I was thinking, you know what, these people are right. This is kind of like David O. Russell's Scorsese tribute or his Scorsese movie. I definitely got that vibe when I was watching it. But then as the movie went on, it just kind of petered out and turns it turns into this mainstream fair, I guess. It turns into the movie about the big fight. And essentially, that's what Rocky is, too, and there's nothing wrong with Rocky. I love it. But if I had to rank the top ten uh, movies or the Best Picture nominees, I would probably go Fighter number ten, and it's not because I dislike the movie. It's just that speaks to how great this year has been. But I've really developed a lot of scorn for the fighter lately because of we're going to get into Oscar snubs here. Um, Inception, I'm glad you brought that up because, yes, I do love Inception. I think there, there was no movie like it this year. It's just an original, fun, uh, great piece of storytelling by Christopher Nolan and the fact that this guy who gave us just this uh, monstrous mainstream and just uh, beautiful technical achievement was snubbed for best director made no sense to me. I think that this might have been the best directed movie of the year, arguably. This was his baby. He pitched it to Warner Brothers, and they were willing to invest $200 million into it, and it paid off. It paid off domestically and internationally. And uh, the fact that he gets a snub, and then Lee Smith, the editor, gets a snub for uh, the best editing category when you have uh, this this hour-long climax where you're sort of rotating between four different dreams, and yet it all makes complete sense as you're watching it. That is a beautiful achievement. And the fact that Inception was about to win the Oscar for best editing, yet he gets snubbed, makes no sense. But the fighter somehow wound up in that category, and it's probably the most accessible movie among the Oscar candidates this year. And David O. Russell, too, he got into the best directing category. And again, I don't mean to slight these achievements by these filmmakers, but good Lord, Inception was... Uh, I went and saw it three times in the theater, and I know that it's kind of fashionable to say that Inception's not as good as uh, the more critically acclaimed or the critical darlings um, as we head into this season. But I, you know, I, I contend if you go back and watch it, it, it is what it was back in July. It's fantastic. He was talking about Oscar snubs, and I do think that if any movie is a director's picture, it would be Inception. Uh, how you ignore uh, Nolan for that is kind of mystifying to me. But um, And there were a few others. Uh, Ryan Gosling from Blue Valentine was, was uh, a little odd. Um, uh, uh, 
for the social network, I was kind of surprised. Uh, but it made room for someone like John Hawks from Winter's Bones, uh, who I loved in that movie and pretty much everything he's ever done. So, so that made me happy. And there were some of the um, uh, smaller, like, you know, if you get down into the technical categories, it's kind of interesting to see which random pictures that the Academy chooses to remember um, for, like, best visual effects that they ignored Tron which is pretty much the reason to see that movie. Yeah. And, uh, and even something like uh, Scott Pilgrim, which is uh, yeah. which I happen to, I put in my top ten um, for the year. And uh, even I didn't expect it to get nominated for any of the large stuff, but you know, something like this, uh, visual effects or sound effects or something like that is kind of weird. Quantum 3D got snubbed also, by the way. <laughs> um, I thought of Haley Steinfeld, and they put her in the right category. I mean, she has the best shot of winning, I think, in that category. But her, her, because um, she really was a lead character in that movie. I, but True Grid, I thought, was tremendous. I, I remember being a kid, running around, my parents were watching True Grid at the, at the drive-in, you know, and with John Wayne. So I, it was, the, the original came on AMC the night, and I was watching, and I thought, Boy, that really points out how great this going, this film is. This original, this, this new version of True Grit is just tremendous, and I, I thought her role was great. Um, there are a couple of movies that didn't get mentioned. George Clooney's in both of them, I, Up in the Air and um, The American. And I was the last year of that The American, I, I thought The American was an absolutely tremendous movie, and I've got some friends who are really mad at me now because they hated it. And they, I just saw that movie because of your review, so... And there, but but I, I really I really enjoyed it, and, and the American to me is a is a classic example of how a movie can be about something that is not the stated subject. I mean, it's a brilliant argument on the on the um, meaning of life, I guess. Really, I, I I really enjoyed the movie, you know, and I, and those movies helped make 2010 great, but they don't show up on the Oscar list. At any rate, as, as far as the nominees go, you mentioned somebody else from the supporting actress, but I... Melissa Leo, but I, I, now that you brought Haley Steinfeld up, I, I rescind my comment about Melissa Leo. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we can um, open it up now, too, to some questions from the floor, if anybody has one. Bert. Yeah, well, I just heard you mention Blue Valentine, and I thought that was... I just surprised me a bit, because... I went into it thinking that, I, you know, I might like it a little bit. I really thought it was a pretty tremendous movie. And how are you about to get on it? It's, it's kind of a rough thought. I would probably say he called it first probably back in May. Because my mind is the best of the year. What did you, did anybody, has anybody, has anybody seen that film? Yeah, I, I got married a month ago, and so then I then I saw Blue Valentine, and that was that was not a great idea because that that movie is essentially every single anxiety that I have boiled down into a motion picture. Um, I think it's tremendous, but it, it pretty much wrecked my day. Uh, no, Ryan Gosling's tremendous in it, um, and uh, Michelle Williams snuck into the best actress category uh, against, I guess. Well, I, I didn't expect it, and I, I don't think a lot of people did, but she's great, too, and I, I think that's, it's probably, the, the, the two of them, it's probably their best performances in, in the movie, I'd say, uh, in, in anything, and Ryan Gosling's been great, and Michelle Williams has been great, but, but both of them in this movie together are just devastating, it's it's a really great movie. I thought the most devastating thing about it, I'm going to take up the time, but it was just like, most of the time when you see a movie about the dissolution of a marriage, 
is involving another person or affair, yeah. uh, spousal abuse or something like that. This was scary, and it just felt so real, like everyday life. And it's like just slowly the what happens sometimes. Yes, yeah, I mean there there aren't any like melodramatic external factors there. It just it, it, yeah, that's so yeah, it's it's already coming back. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you take a break, Corey. Um, no, I, I was also recently married, and I felt the same way Corey did about Blue Valentine. And I was as I was watching it, I mean, you see this marriage come apart, and you see them doing things to each other that the other doesn't appreciate. And I would just kind of like look over at my wife, and she'd be giving me dirty looks. And I was just like, I didn't do anything. I'm not him. You know what I mean? He, he's doing it. But no, I agree. I mean, the physical transformation of Brian Gosling in that movie is amazing, uh, and it really caught me off guard. I had no idea it was going to look that way. But I totally agree, just in terms of the realism of it, and the fact that this guy. This director worked on this film for, what, 10 years, I think? And he was willing to commit a decade of his life to uh, tell this story in particular, this very personal and heartbreaking story. And it hits you hard. It really does. And there are uh, four movies that I want to bring up real fast um, before we uh, continue. Um, I guess that sort of just kind of filled the top, or the 10th spot in my top 10 were these kind of like these New York, L.A. Uh, slices of life, I guess, these character uh, dramedies. And they were Greenberg, the Noah Baumbach movie, which I think is fantastic. The Kids Are All Right, which Corey has mentioned, Please Give is a fantastic film. And uh, one that I watched recently, the Duplass Brother comedy, uh, sort of <laughs> strange comedy, Cyrus. And if anybody hasn't seen that, it's a fantastic film. Um, sort of, th- these films get sort of thrown into this mumblecore category, and maybe that's uh, rightly so, I don't know, but I feel like that uh, all four of them are very well scripted, very well performed, and it's just nice to see actors, whether or not they're riffing, just kind of doing their thing, getting let loose uh, on set, and um, it's really nice to see Noam Baumbach make a movie that makes you feel a little bit better about yourself since his last film, Margo, at the wedding, I guess, but anyway. Yes. Okay, I'm a diehard fan of the original True Grit, and this, have y'all all seen? I haven't seen the new one, but she makes me that Maddie Boss, the same character of the same actress playing the Kim Darby role. I thought she was, I mean, I, I don't even know if I can see the new one because I love the original so much. Because I thought Kim Darby just nailed It's a completely different movie. Um, we'll see, I don't know if I can uh, and, and Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges looks like the character in the novel a lot more. You know, he's not wearing a course in a, in a wig. I mean, you know, he's not John Wayne. And the, the, the dialogue is completely different, and it sets up for the it sets up for the Haley Steinfeld girl to 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 play a different type of character. She's actually, to complete this, more aggressive and more entertaining to listen to. And and the way they the way they talk, nobody uses and this is gonna sound like it doesn't matter, but in the movie it does. Nobody uses um contractions because they didn't then. That's a new thing for us. So and apparently I use them constantly. But then, and that really made a big difference. I, I thought that she was better in the movie because it was more real and you get the sense of how more she's more driven and you get the sense of what's what makes her tick a lot more than you did in the original movie. In the original movie, she's more of a child, and in this movie, she's somebody who's lost her father, and, and it's, it means business. I mean, it's really, a, yeah, it's a very, it's a very impressive. I don't know, the original was, uh, like my favorite. Well, I, I ate a bunch of zero bars that day, and we're running a little and I threw up. But, uh, <laughs> 
It's cool, but it's a John Wayne. You're watching John Wayne. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't read the book. No, I didn't. I, mean, I, I wish I had. This is supposed to be much truer to the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to hear before we talk about Wonder Child because I totally freaking love that movie so much. We just saw it and it ended and I was just like... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fun little uh, atypical, well, okay, it's not fun. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of fun, I, okay, I have a lot of fun watching it, but it, it's a, it's, a, it's an atypical little film noir of sorts set in, in Appalachia, in, in that country, uh, and it's, um, I mean, it's just a great, great movie, just a, a weird mystery hybrid sort of thing. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence gives my favorite performance of the year in the movie, uh, and John Hawks, uh, you already mentioned, he's tremendous at it too. Uh, it, I mean, it's, you know, for, for these movies made, I guess, on location, on a shoestring budget, uh, you know, it's just got this tremendous sense of verisimilitude, and it's got this, uh, I, I don't know, it's just, I mean, it's just a wonderful movie to watch, uh, and uh, it has probably the, the most intense climax of any movie that I saw last year, just really, really crazy. Um, Again, I, I, I don't know. I just I love that movie. I saw it back in August. I, I loved it since then. It was my favorite movie of the year until I saw True Grit, which sort of took over. I, know, I love True Grit. Yeah, I want to say too because I think people here and you know anybody here who's a fan of the kind of films that you see at the Sidewalk Film Festival, by the way, definitely need to go see. Uh, What's happening? Winter's Bone. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Lost it there for a second. No, I, I mean, it's just, it, I think people, when you grow up in Alabama, like I'm sure a lot of you guys have, or if you spend a lot of time here, I, I feel like when we see the South depicted in a Hollywood film, a lot of times it's immediately clear that they don't know what they're talking about. They're, they're sort of, yeah, Corey, Corey wants me to mention Get Low as an example of that, of, of Hollywood making a movie about the South, and they just, you can just immediately feel that it's not, uh, it, it's not realistic, it's not authentic, it's made by people who don't understand this part of the country, and Winter's Bone just, I mean, it just, it, it absolutely the whole time feels like you are right there in Appalachia, you're out in the woods, I mean, it looks like this part of the country, it looks like you're out there a little bit too far away from civilization for comfort, and uh, and the, you know the people look like people you see in that part of the country. They they talk like the people in this part of the country. I mean, it, it, to me, uh, for 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 this crowd, Winter's Bone is definitely a must see. It's 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 a kind of movie that you can tell was made by Southern people, was written by people who understand this part of the country. It's it's uh, definitely for this crowd. Uh, yeah, the movie is absolutely authentic, and um, I just thought it was really interesting how sort of clannish the you know uh, the the characters in the movie. They're very uh, close to outsiders, to the police, even though that the, uh, the conditions they live in, with all the horrible meth dealers running their lives, it basically uh, would make anyone want to run away. And I really like the main character. I mean, she's very similar to she's someone you not don't see a lot, but even though she was pretty similar to. Uh, to Haley Steinfeld's character in True Grid, but she was also a, a, a pretty different in that she was just so, you know, like the strong and silent type. You know, when at the beginning of the movie, when the uh, sheriff's deputy comes and tells her that her father's missing and they're going to lose their house, and she just says, I'll find him. And, you know, he starts to try and talk her out of it. And you 
business and she's, she's going to get it done. And that's sort of uh, just really raw certainty isn't, a lot, isn't something you see a lot these days. the Arkansas game. I'm sorry. I'm one of those guys. I'm really sorry. I'm a bad person. Um, it was at my house. Yeah. Uh, the documentary Exit Through the Gift Shop is a must-see film. It is incredible. It's, uh, I mean, this has been a great year for documentaries anyway, in general. Uh, the movie Catfish just came out on DVD, I think. That's also very entertaining. But uh, this is a, uh, if, if you aren't familiar, this is a film about the underground art scene directed by, or sort of hijacked by the mysterious Banksy who's now up for an Oscar and God, God willing he'll win and do something crazy like spray paint his Oscar or something like that. But um, no, really, it, it, I've heard somebody say that this is the most entertaining film of the year and you might ask yourself, how could a documentary be the most entertaining film of the year? You just need to see it to understand uh, what people mean when they say that because I mean, at the beginning of this you have this montage of what these famous street artists actually do at night. Somebody has this unbelievable access uh, to how they do things in Los Angeles and London and just throughout the world and it's just uh, fascinating and just the, the idea of Exit Through the Gift Shop that a French, a very eccentric French filmmaker named Terry Guetta, or sort of filmmaker anyway, would be trying to make this documentary about the underground scene, and then when, once he meets with Banksy, and Banksy basically decides, you know what, you're way more interesting than anything that uh, you're covering myself or any of these other artists, and I'm going to basically take over and make a documentary about you. And once it takes that left turn, it really does turn into arguably the most entertaining film of the year when Terry puts on his own art show and we sort of uh, turn the camera on art aficionados and people who claim or, or make these statements that this is good art, this is something you should like when in reality this is the most subjective thing in the world. I mean, every single person in this room has an idea of what good art is and they shouldn't be told what good art is. But Exit Through the Gift Shop is good art, I'll tell you that. It's, uh, it's outstanding. Um, two recommendations I have that are not in any way entertaining. Um, well, they kind of are, but in a sick way. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, Mark Romantic's Never Let Me Go, uh, which just came out on, on DVD. It's one of the, my favorite movies of the year. It's based on a really great novel uh, by the guy who wrote The, the Remains of the Day, Kajuo Ishiguro. Um, I don't really want to describe too much of the plot because it sort of hinges on a, on a conceit that is best left, uh, I guess, discovered while you're watching the movie. Uh, but it, 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 it's sort of science fiction in, in a very unexpected way, and uh, it features some really terrific performances from uh, Carrie Mulligan, who is just wonderful in everything, apparently, and uh, Andrew Garfield um, from the Social Network. So check that one out. Also, uh, in the sick joke category, another movie that played at Sidewalk last year, uh, the Greek nominee for the best foreign language film, Dog Tooth, uh, which uh, sort of messed up my worldview for a couple days after I saw it. Um, I think it's a great movie, but another movie that you really shouldn't know anything about before you see it. And not really one that I can recommend either because it's really messed up. Uh, so watch that one at your own, at your own risk. 
I'm eight minutes into Dogtooth right now, watching it on Netflix Instant, and I had to just turn it off and collect my thoughts. And I, I can't wait to get back to it. But eight minutes into the movie, you're just it does things to you. So uh, recommend it or not, I'm gonna it check it out. It's easier after those first eight minutes. In all seriousness, wonderful. <laughs> one more, one more recommendation, I guess that like I, I can't really recommend it because I didn't like it. It's a movie that I really don't like at all. But I would never dissuade anybody from seeing it if they really want to. Uh, is uh, is a movie called Into the Void uh, from the filmmaker uh, Gaspar Noe. The director of Irreversible, which is another movie that I don't think anybody should see ever. Great scene. Noe has a brilliant abortion scene. Yeah, no, don't. I mean, yeah, it's another movie that I really can't recommend, but it's it's like two and a half hours of uh, tedious. Uh, filmmaking magic that like it, it, it's just it's it's just the sort of movie that wears you down and, and um, I don't know the, the camera does things that you didn't think cameras could do uh, so that movie is the only movie I've ever applauded at the opening credit sequence yeah before. yeah like, that's right when you start, I, like I was at the theater just burst out laughing and just started clapping is that how you came out of your seizure know that I like the movie at all because it's just I mean it's two and a half hours long and it's just one note and it's, but it's so incredible to watch like I, I don't know I'm just conflicted about it I, I would never watch it again let's just put it that way I like that Corey recommends movies he doesn't like I like that's just Corey summed up right there um I'm going to recommend a movie I did like a lot, which I guess that's a little counterculture here at this point, for a room that cheered when Dogtooth was mentioned. But uh, I really liked Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It was my favorite movie of the year for a long time, and I never expected it to get nominated for Best Picture, but it's just so damn fun to watch, and, uh, and it's still fun. I've watched it several times since on DVD. It's still fun. And, I mean, the best way I can describe it to you, and the reason why I'm recommending it for this group, which that was the original question, is that it's, it's you know, it's kind of like an indie movie, but it's a really, really big budget indie movie. It's like if Juno and Tron and Kill Bill kind of like had a crazy night and nine months later had a baby. That's what Scott Pilgrim would be. And, uh, I mean, it's it's hard to describe it, really, but, I mean, it's just, it's. I think it really speaks to this, to this group here, especially, and it's so, so much fun from the very opening scene, just kind of, just kind of blows you away with just how recklessly fun it is. It's not worried about following, following all these rules about what's supposed to happen in a movie, and, you know, you do have to be a little open-minded to it, and, and some people have kind of kicked back, and, and there was a little bit of a backlash to it just because it's, uh, you know, no, I, I think some people feel like no movie should be having that much fun a little bit, but it's just uh, it's just kind of, you know, wackiness and, and uh, you know, throwing caution to the wind and, and very, very reference-heavy, and uh, I, I think everybody here would like it a lot. Yeah, I did. Uh, I've been, I got Scott Pilgrim on Blu-ray uh, for Christmas, and I've been spending most of my free time watching the thing since then. Uh, there's four commentaries on there, and I've seen them all. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's probably the most fun movie that you could see from last year. There's just the energy and uh, excitement and joy from the movie is kind of overwhelming at times. You know, the Edgar Wright, the director who did Hot Fuzz and Shaun the Dead, 
just kind of in his own league at the moment of making the because the movie is terribly complicated technically, but it feels effortless when you're watching it. And uh, if you also, if you need any real deep reasons to watch it besides that it's a lot of fun, I kind of thought that the romance between the two main characters, Scott and Ramona, was kind of surprisingly realistic in that they're both kind of jerks who have to who have spent their lives dumping people and they have to kind of over the course of the movie come to terms with whether they can forge an actual adult relationship where they find out that the other person has some baggage in their past and move forward instead of just fleeing. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, as for other stuff that I want to highlight, there was a movie uh, that didn't come here, I don't think, but I didn't see it when I was on vacation. And it's uh, Mother, which is a Korean movie by the guy who did uh, The Host and uh, Memories of Murder. And it's about a uh, mentally disabled guy who gets uh, who gets uh, suspected of murder, and they manage to cajole a confession out of him, but his mother doesn't believe that he did it. So she go, it's basically a detective picture with her going to any means necessary that she can almost disturbingly to uh, prove his innocence and uh, it should be out on DVD by now because I saw it back in March uh, and you should check it out Go on Les so I've always got to um, and I, this is going to sound irrational and you guys have probably already all seen it but and I don't know why I keep going back to this, but I really, 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 really enjoyed The American. I, would, I mean, I would really recommend that to any, anybody. And I've already been in trouble with my friends over it, but no, I really enjoyed the movie. Well, I think we're going to wrap up so we can do trivia. Um, but before we give uh, everybody a round of applause, I'm going to just pass the mic really quickly, and you can just leave us on the note of your most hated film of the year. And then, and then we'll clap you off the stage. I'm still here. Uh, this, this, this top ten would be, you could lump them all into ten, but it would be really hard to list them worst to best because they all suck. Um, the Sex in the City 2 was absolutely horrendous. I, I would not have gone to see it if I wasn't told to. I mean, it was just horrible. And it was everything I expected to be in less. And, um, and, and pick a Twilight movie. I, I can't. I cannot watch that crap. I, I really... I just, I just want to tell the people who made those movies to bite me. I, I can't stand them. So, I, I do want to. <laughs> I do want to. I do want to ask one thing though. Um, the the B Metro thing that, that Joe is doing is sort of an experiment. It's a new magazine that he started. He, he was 20 years the editor of Birmingham, and um, his, his website is anything. And I'd like to invite anybody that wants to uh, to review movies with us and, and and post them there. I mean, I I do it for nothing because that's probably what it's worth. But but uh, we really Joe, I would like it for us to get some sort of a conversation similar to this on that on, on that B Metro side. It'd be a fun thing to do and and nobody's gonna tell you, you know, that your reviews crappy because we wouldn't know. So anyway, I think everybody's gonna have email addresses and stuff, but if, if anybody's interested in doing that, please let me know. I'm actually having kind of a hard time coming up with something. I think maybe because I've gotten better over the years at just blocking out stuff that I hated. And I've also gotten better about not going to see something that, I, that I'm that i sure I would hate, like Sex and City 2 or Twilight. Um, 
Um, there were things that were disappointments. I was really looking forward to, let's say, uh, Tron, and I thought it was pretty, but kind of empty. And uh, let's see. In December, I went to see The Tourist because I like Johnny Depp, and it was also pretty, but empty. Uh, anybody? Yeah, if we're doing, um, are, are we do, are we going ahead and doing like pro- shameless promotions too, along with this? All right, uh, go visit filmnerds.com. All three of us write stuff there, and uh, as well as a couple of other people. And um, right now, we're I, I'm I'm in the midst of making my way through the top 50 movies of 1983 at the box office. It's been quite terrible so far, but I'm almost finished. But um, uh, also, you can find us on iTunes. Just search for Film Nerds. But uh, my least... I, this isn't... I'm not going to say this is a bad movie. It's the movie that pissed me off the most this year. And it's Shutter Island. And uh, I'm a huge... Yeah, there you go. I'm a huge Martin Scorsese fan. I love what he did with the movie. Um, and so I think it's mostly a screenplay issue that I have a problem with. I don't want to spoil it in case somebody here hasn't seen it. All I will say is there's a big uh, revelation at a certain point in the movie and it ruins the entire movie and it makes everything that happened before that moment completely worthless and irrelevant and that you've wasted all of your time up to that point. So that's why it makes me mad. I'm really done with uh, the whole thing that, that I guess started a few years ago of that being really popular adaptation sort of made fun of it, where you get like two-thirds, maybe even three-quarters of the way through the movie, and they go, guess what? Everything that happened doesn't really matter so far, so it's a different movie now, and you can go rewatch it. But, um, so that pissed me off a lot, and uh, I didn't, I, I loved the way the film looked, I loved the performances, I loved the score, I loved everything about it, except that, and I was loving the movie completely until that moment, and my face just dropped in the theater and I said please no please do not make this what's what's happening right now in this movie so it ruined it for me but that that's 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 my entry into this into this bottom five I guess uh, no no that's okay um, yeah I, I don't know I, I kind of forgot all the movies I hated too other than Sex and the City but only because it was mentioned um I kind of hated The Last Airbender, but I guess that goes without saying to you. Uh, that's, that's a really bad movie. Um, as far as disappointments, I I was really disappointed in, in Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, but I guess, I, again, that goes without saying. It's kind of empty, even though it made a billion dollars worldwide. So that's ridiculous. Uh, and then um, I didn't have any expectations for it, but I thought that uh, Edward Zwick's new movie, Love and Other Drugs, with Anne Hathaway and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was particularly terrible for being positioned as an awards contender. So I, I kind of resented that notion more than anything, that it was released in awards season uh, as an alleged contender for awards, and it was just so bad. Um, otherwise, yeah, I don't know. A lot of really bad movies, but I struggle to remember them. Uh, there was a movie that came out early 2010 that shot me um, how disappointing it was. It's a filmmaker named Adam McGowan. A film called Chloe, and it's 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 horrible. It really is, and I, I've just become a really um, 
I'm just really not a fan of Amanda Seyfried at this point. Well, I'm sorry. I really am. I just didn't dig it at all. But uh, in terms of worst, uh, this was disappointing and just bad. And I don't see any kids here, but the film Dinner for Schmucks is a piece of shit. Um, I, I, you know, I went into that really wanting to like it a lot. But, you know, I, the, the trailers, all of the marketing just turned me off. And um, Steve Carell's great. Paul Rudd's great. Zach Galifianakis, Jermaine Clement. The list goes on. There's so many talented people involved. And Jay Roach, the filmmaker, everything on paper suggests this is going to be great. And then you remember, wait a second, this is a remake. This is Hollywood today. This is what they do. They screw things up that were good in the first place. And um, Dinner for Schmucks is another great example of that. I didn't laugh uh, once, I don't think. Maybe when the credits came up. Corey liked it. Um, <laughs> we, we have our disagreements, I guess. But in another disagreement, and before I wrap up here, I, I've got to call Matt out here. Uh, I just re revisited on Blu-ray Shutter Island, and I think Shutter Island is a great film. And to see Mark Scorsese uh, find find himself creatively again after I think what was kind of a, a, a run of halfway decent to slightly mediocre uh, films. Look, The Departed is fine. It, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the, the Aviator's only so-so. Gangs of New York is. But when, when Shutter Island came out, it's just you, you see Scorsese, who is an established legend, okay? It's, un, it's unquestionable. When you see him find new things to do, do new things technically, and uh, he, he finds new ways to tell stories. When I saw the trailer, I was like, wow, this is kind of like Scorsese directing a Stephen King novel in a way, even though it was Dennis Lane. It just kind of had that vibe. But like Matt even pointed out, the music, the overall tone, the performances, there's a scene in that movie with Ted Levine, who played... Uh, uh, what's his name? Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs and uh, Leo DiCaprio that had, still sticks with me since the first time I saw it. This movie is a It's Yeah, everybody's awesome in it, and it's just one of the most fun movies of the year, most entertaining things. So, Matt, you're dead wrong, my friend. I like you a lot, and I respect you, I guess, but Shutter Island is a great film, and I encourage people to revisit it. She thought it was awful. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs>